0: get all these movies and enjoy them. Well, this particular time we went, we got our movies, and then we got a frappuccino, a little glass-bottled Starbucks frappuccino. First time we ever saw one of these things. We didn't even have a Starbucks in town then. And it was a vanilla frappuccino. We were drinking it. We didn't like it. We made up a name for it, what we thought it tasted like. I actually like them now. We're driving back home on Howard there by campus. We look out the passenger side window. Lo and behold, there's a man with a brown jacket on, has it open, and he is hitting his sleeve because it was a flame. Oh, what? This man's jacket was on fire. Just the one's arm, or well, there's one part was on fire and he's there beating it, trying to get it to go out. My brother and I look at it. We look at each other. We look at it. No way. We couldn't believe it. I'd like to say we pulled over and we helped him and we were heroes, but no, we kept driving and we didn't do anything. I like to think he's okay. It wasn't a big plan. Why was his jacket on fire? Did he put a cigarette in there? I, we don't know. We don't know, and we should have stopped. We admit that. And yet, it's one of those things that really happened that we think, did that really happen? Yeah, we both know it really did. I just texted him yesterday about it. I said, I'm preaching and I'm mentioning the jacket. (laughs) And he goes, What a crazy and hard to believe memory. I can't believe that actually happened. There you go. You know, He receives a double share of Elijah's spirit. He sees Elijah be carried off on on chariots of fire. This amazing experience. He goes into a town and performs his first miracle by the grace of God, where he purifies the water of a town. Elisha is feeling pretty high. He's feeling good. He's kind of strutting around, going about his business. And then this story happens. Let's dive into God's word and see what it is. This is in 2 Kings. 23 through 25. Let's just see what's going on here. Hear the word of the Lord. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out to the town, and they jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. He turned around. He looked at them. Two bears came out of the woods and mauled forty two of the boys. And Elijah went on to Mount Carmel and from there returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. In this story, did any of you just picture like a bunch of little children, right? Like little kids. On first read, I was like, oh my goodness, this is terrifying, a bunch of little kids. But thankfully, it's highly unlikely that this was a group of small children. It it was most likely a mob of young men. See, the Hebrew phrase that's translated here, it it, it can be translated, they usually translate it to boys or small boys, but really it's kind of anywhere between 12 and 30 is how it's translated. So this was most likely teenagers or young adults. And when we continue to parse out what is actually happening, it's highly likely these were young adults. But we still have to wrestle with the fact that 42 of them were mauled by bears. There's a little bit of good news, I guess, in that being mauled doesn't necessarily mean they all died. But that's a small thing for us to (laughs) hang on to. But then again, the specifics—that specific number, saying that there were 42 of them were mauled—it suggests there were more that were part of the crowd that were not mauled that were able to escape. Okay, so there's likely a large crowd. 42 of them were mauled, maybe not all of them. So I guess that's good news. Still hard to wrestle. With. But if you think about it, these people—they were. Insulting Elijah, right? They were making fun of him. What's the purpose of making fun? It's, It's to insult, it's to hurt, it's to wound. And this was a big group. That means a big group trying to insult this man. Also, their purpose is to intimidate, to challenge. And what do we know about crowds? We know that there's heightened tension in a crowd, there's heightened courage in a crowd. And the crowd mentality, it's kind of a scary thing. A lot of times the the brains of the crowd are reduced to the lowest common denominator. And it's highly likely that things could have turned very violent and deadly for Elisha, God's recently appointed prophet. Elisha. Now, were these young adults really just making fun of Elijah for being bald? Or is there more to it? No. Okay. I mean, here's the thing, most of us who are a little bit challenged follically, we know our state in life. We know we are losing our hair or have lost our hair. We know people will notice it. Some people may insult us about it. We mm-hmm. understand it's part of our life. Sometimes it hurts, and generally we accept we can shake it off and move on. I say this as a man in the middle of this journey, and it's only 32 friends. It's hard. But we can shake it off usually. So is this insult really about Elisha's boldness, or is it something else? Well, what other details does this text reveal to us? When we're stuck and we don't understand what's going on, we expand and say, what else could be going on here? Let's consider... The stage where this is all going down. These young men were coming from Bethel. Bethel was the center for idol worship in the northern kingdom of Israel that was set up during Jeroboam's reign as king. So they worshipped idols at Bethel. And Elijah, Elijah's predecessor, yeah, predecessor, and Bethel, they had history Elijah had called Bethel out and denounced them because of their immorality. He called them out for worshiping idols and choosing wickedness because Bethel wasn't following God in his way. So here we have Elijah's successor. He's coming by. Bethel. The people probably heard about it in Bethel. They knew he was brand new in his role as God's prophet. He wasn't even seasoned yet. And so he was maybe even Vulnerable, and they think he's alone. And they have a large crowd. And they didn't like what Elijah preached. And they knew they didn't like what Elijah stood for and what he would preach or the God that he represented. Because remember, prophets represented their representatives of God. They represented God to the people and the people to God. So when they insult Elijah, they're not just insulting him. They are showing severe disrespect for Elijah's message and God's power. By insulting God's servant, they were insulting God. Standing up for God, as Elijah does, it means being different from the world. Taking a stand for our faith often means to invite ridicule and insult and cynicism and offense. So Elijah. He's furious, not because they're making fun of his baldness, but because these people from Bethel who worship idols would dare insult the one true God. So he looks at them, and as this passage says, he cursed them. He doesn't curse. stuff, that's kind of what our minds go to, but curse in the Hebrew and this context means to call for divine judgment. To call for divine judgment. We're calling on God to make something wrong, to make it right. For God to make it right. It's to call someone out for their disrespect to God and to call upon the Lord to deal with them as he sees fit and as they deserve. And what does God do to decide to send the two bears out of the woods. Bye. And we know the rest. That was God's call, what happened. That was his choice, what happened. Bye. And sometimes I think it's easy for us to forget the power of God. The holiness and sacredness of God. I think we get that confused sometimes because his greatest act of power is. Is also one of love, and that's what we saw on the cross and at the resurrection. But God is holy, and He is loving and merciful, and He's just, and He is worthy of respect. And here, on behalf of His servant, He acts. And who are we to question what God says He will do or what He does do? Elijah, he was not. the one true God was on his side. Interestingly, the very end of this passage, it shows Elijah passes through Mount Carmel on his way to Samaria. You may remember Mount Carmel. It's where Elijah took his stand against the false god Baal and all their prophets, where God showed in profound and dramatic display that he is the one true God heaven and on earth, and is worthy of all praise we try to learn what's going on. Because from this, we can take away that not one of us who call God, our Lord and Savior, stand alone. He is with us. Even when we don't see him, even those times we don't feel him, he is always close. He is always at work. He is always crafting things together to make them right. Because while the enemies may surround us, while sin and its effects have a field day, God is still on the throne. Nothing will stop God from pushing his mission forward. We're also reminded of the profound fact that our words hold immense power. They can lift spirits, they can bring peace, healing, and harmony, or they can cut down, destroy, and degrade. The young men's words brought about their own destruction. Eliza's words called forth God to act. Do our words cut down and destroy, or do they call upon God to enter into our space and for him to intercede on our behalf? I'm not suggesting we ask God to send bears to attack anyone. Please don't hear that. But are we regularly inviting the presence of God into our lives, into our situations, and are we trusting our decisions and our next steps to him? Imagine. Imagine what would have happened if Elijah tried to act on his own power instead of calling on God to intercede. He's not Samson, he didn't have the jawbone of a donkey, he, it was just him, his boldness, and a mob. And I'm guessing they were stronger than he was. He could have tried to make his own way. Or, he could call on the power of the one true God and trust it to him to do with what he felt fit, to enter into his problem and create a way where there was no way. Elijah, he was insulted, he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he called upon God, and God made the way. And when we talk of stories that seem so hard to believe that they're true, but we know absolutely that they are true and did happen, we're reminded of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was also mocked, who was also ridiculed, who was also despised and had insults hurled at him as he hung upon the cross. And he cried out to God. God turned his back on his son. And there our Savior hung, all alone, as the insults and the pain and the sin of the world weighed so heavily upon him, he became that pain and sin himself. Jesus Christ opened his lips and he said it is finished and he died and his father was silent it seemed there was no way it seemed that the evil one As the Savior died proclaiming, it is finished, you could say, all was lost. Except, it wasn't. Because it is finished means the path has been paved. The price has been paid. And God the Father is the one true God over all life and death. And he said, rise and live. This is my plan. This is my purpose. This will make a way for all others. So he said, rise, and our Savior did. That's our God. That's the power of our God. When you feel alone, you are never alone. You feel trapped. You feel lost. You feel there's no way out of this. There is always a way. Because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And if you believe in him, he has set you free. All we do, simply call upon him to intercede on our behalf. Just call upon him, trust him, and then you follow him in the way everlasting. His path is straight. His way is true. His spirit will lead in God. So, brothers and sisters in Christ, may we all take our stand and invite God into our life, into our situation, for He will make a way. He always has. He always will, because that is what He does, that is who He is. Praise be to God, our Father all glory, honor, and praise be to him. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, God. We think that you are the Alpha and Omega. You are and always have been and always will be. You are there before the beginning. You'll be there well after the beginning. You are Lord of all creation, heaven, earth, and sky, and you are all-powerful. And that very God that Elijah called on is our very same God.
1: Lord, when you made a way for Elijah,
0: you made a way for your servant, then you make your way for your servants now. So Father, we hold before you today all those ways that we are not relying on you, and we say, God, this is yours. Father, everything that we have tried to do in our own power, we now proclaim, Lord, I can't, but you absolutely can. And Lord, where we need to be reminded of your power and your glory and your majesty and that you are in control, that you are all powerful and fully, fully capable of doing amazing things, we say, have your way in our lives. Have your way right here today. Lord, we pray you forgive us for the ways we have used our words to destroy and tear down and hurt. And we pray that you transform us and more into your image and use our words as you do for life to build up, to encourage. We thank you, God, for the Son of Your Son. Thank you for your sacrifice. May we never take that for granted, but live In response to that, each and every day of our lives. We welcome doors. And it's all in Jesus' name. Amen.